Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic, cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend and say positive things about us to them. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow. If you've not yet given us a five-star rating or review, pause this recording and please do so. It takes only a few seconds, but yet the algorithms that run the interwebs will, uh, will benefit us. Follow us on Twitter at, at @clergylay and join our Facebook discussion group. Christopher, every week I get alerts about people who have checked out our, our, our scandalously dormant Facebook <laughs> discussion group. So people people keep listening to uh, this uh, admonition to do it, and then and then I don't do anything interesting on it. So one of these days uh, I'm going to start throwing some interesting stuff on there. Just just you wait. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother Chris, a handsome bespectacled priest. Chris, how are you? I'm great. Kirk, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm 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 great. I'm sipping coffee, and I and I. Just realized something um, that uh, I realized something about myself and my afternoon coffee habits. I am just a shocking Philistine who uses now routinely my French pe- my French press with just ordinary coffee grounds. When we oh, first you're got saying our... <laughs> you're saying pre ground. Yeah, you're oh, not yeah. Grinding oh, definitely. Them. Yeah. When yeah, we first got, got our French press, I was so excited, and I would I would grind them. Um, a little, a little more roughly as you're supposed to with a French press. Um, and I, I would do it by the book and I loved French press coffee. Ta- and now out. I just time dump out. like question, just dump the pre-ground coffee in. Okay. Like a, so like you're a, saying like a, like a barbarian, you're saying you're buying ground coffee. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yeah. You deserve all the scorn that I, is I do. going to be heaped your way. Yeah. Cause you used to be one who, um, would uh grind so you were so dedicated to freshly ground coffee that <laughs> you would not grind it the night before you would grind it in the morning Always. and in fact you would have to Always. go um into your breezeway outside so that you would not wake up others in the house as in you the ground in the morning in the bleak midwinter yes to grind your morning coffee and here you are now purchasing pre-ground uh, coffee i don't even recognize myself in the mirror anymore and that's not just the, uh, the, the, the long uncut hair. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's where I am, Christopher. I'm, I'm, I'm slacking off in my, in my, uh, coffee snobbery. Matter matters, matter matters, Kirk. We're yes, Anglicans. it does. And, and like, it's fine. The coffee's fine, but it's not great. And, uh, for a while I, I loved, I loved that I like 
with a little bit of effort could have a great cup of coffee in the afternoon. Mm. Indeed. Indeed. Kirk, uh, this week of uh, our listeners will know uh, was my daughter's birthday. Yay. Last week, I shared that the girls were going away for a uh, girls weekend and they had a wonderful girls weekend. It looked um, to unbelievable. Oh, it they was. did like, all the things. All the things. And I'm thrilled that they that they did that. It would have been easy to just be like, eh, let's just like, you know, stay uh, to familiar things, to close things and to not do all the things. It was funny. Kirk, you saw pictures of everyone, everyone being Meg, Maria and Jordan uh, at uh, U.S. Bank Stadium. And in front of U.S. Bank Stadium, there is that Vikings ship. I don't know if it has a name, um, but uh, Jordan was so excited about uh us bank stadium she's just like we have to come back and go to a game uh like you, i've never been to a game at us bank stadium yeah and uh she's just like daddy has to come with me to a game we have to do this of course it's a difficult you know i get you know about four sundays off a year and and usually they're spent you know seeing family uh going to right. weddings things like that N- not to, to um travel to a vikings <laughs> game but also vikings games are very expensive yeah. Um, Hello, although, Parrish. I'm uh, not going to be here this important Sunday in November because I'm going to a Vikings game. Yeah, actually, that might be the one thing that would garner garner sympathy from your congregation. But Kirk, uh, this is a bit of a side note. Uh, last night uh, was opening night for the Minnesota Timberwolves. <laughs> oh, yeah, huge, you know, huge acquisition over the offseason. Um, and just expectations are the very tall Frenchman. Rudy yes. Gobert. Yes. Who gives um, the, very French sounding interviews. They're amazing. They're amazing. I mean, he's got a great <laughs> nickname. He's called the Stifle Tower Stifle. because he's an excellent defender. <laughs> and so uh, he, along with Carl Anthony Towns, are have been dubbed the North. I'm sorry. Yes. The Northern Heights. Um, <laughs> uh, all kinds of fun stuff oh. there. Um, but I was like, I'm very excited about the season, Kirk. Like, just the the, the talent on the team is unbelievable. They had to give up a lot to get to acquire yeah. him. Um, but I was just looking up Timberwolves tickets, and I was just very, very uh, depressed as I was doing so. Oh. They're they're more expensive than Vikings tickets. Really? Yeah. Vikings play eight home games a year. Timberwolves play forty one. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So here's the here's the thing that I don't understand about the NFL, right? Um, tickets are you have to sell an organ to get a ticket they're shockingly expensive no one can get tickets and yet they never sell out and you always see opposing team colors in the stadium right like how can this be true okay well how that's... can this how can both these things be true well kirk i mean a, a I sellout know, i know and... how they can yeah go ahead go ahead well the, the way that tickets can become affordable for season ticket holders is uh you sell Yes. a certain number of tickets each season and it's most profitable sells them to the fans yes. of the other yeah. team. That's right. That's right. And that's how you end up with that's opposing right. colors in the stands. It's, I, um, it's just like cheap, not cheap fans, but fans who just like, you know, want some, some cost relief. Right. For their tickets. I, 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 I really bitterly complained about um, the, the number of Packers fans uh, on Facebook last year after the pack, the Packers just um, re- really, really, dispatched with ease the vikings in u.s bank stadium at home in minneapolis and there was just there's way too much green in there way too much green in there and i'm like vikings fans you 
you create this myth that you are this this noble, faithful, beleaguered fan base, and that's all baloney because I just see a sea of green. And I said, like, Viking, like Viking season ticket holders, like, what the heck, man? And and a high school, uh, actually a friend from Verndale, Christopher, a elementary school friend, um, texted back and said, like, I'm sorry, but we can't go to every game, and like they're really expensive, and my daughter was sick. And forgive me, but I wanted to get a little bit of money back. So sorry. <laughs> I'll tell you what, a Packers fan will pay a lot of money for two good tickets. Yeah. And for some people, like if you sell tickets for so like, three games, down a little bit. that pays for your entire season tickets. Right. And, you know. You can make it work. So, so uh, yeah, had a great birthday on Tuesday. Um, you, you saw the pictures of of um, of us at the Hibachi restaurant, which has become kind of a, a family favorite um, to get some uh, entertainment along with uh, food. Isaac Isaac loves the knives and the fire. Loves it, right? you know. As you know, when they first come out, they'll put a little oil and light it on fire and yeah. just get get it like flames up the to onion the, volcano. The, the hood. Do they do that? And and Isaac, you know, is assuring Murray. He's like, "This is the only scary part." <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Like the, the like the the flames up to fire? Like, yeah, the pillar of fire. He's like, "This is the only scary part." Don't worry. Like the Israelites in the desert, you know that there's a uh, good meat coming after after the pillar of fire. Indeed. Or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, ha- happy birthday to your daughter. Um, she is growing up way, way too fast. Yeah. So are, are you, did, did you like, did you, did you feel that as well? Like it's kind of, it's, it's, I mean, two nights, two separate nights this week, we spent at least an hour um, screen sharing from phone to television, right. watching videos of her when she was three, four, five, six, seven. Um, and just kind of where have the years gone? It's beautiful. And uh, of course, you had a it was Simon's birthday uh, before Jordan's, mm-hmm. and, and next month, uh, of course, you have Bryden's to kind of have this, you know, your own realizations of wow, like time flies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. T- I mean, time does fly, and I mean, you have to take good care to um, to mark the time and uh, and and appreciate the time you have, um, and and so that's that's all good. Um, cause otherwise, uh, if you don't mark the time properly, you may end up with the years having slipped through your fingers, um, beating your breast and saying, God be merciful to me. Today's gospel lesson comes from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. 
But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this parable comes immediately after last week's, and much like last week's parable, uh, we get an explanation at the beginning of this one. Last week told us exactly what to expect about how we should pray um, and not give up, something to that effect. Um, and here, this parable, there's no mystery about what it's about. Some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And of course, coming off the heels of last week, uh, you may remember that verse 8 of this chapter ended with um, Jesus asking that that uh, when he returns, will he find faith on earth? And then he shows, like, what, what does this faith look like? And we see one proud man, and we see one person who recognizes his own sin. And uh, this short passage, five verses, ends... Um, with this saying that we've seen before, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. The one who humbles himself will be exalted. Kirk, it's almost like there's this coherent thing that Jesus is doing in his teaching that Luke is picking up on. Huh. Uh, that, in interesting theory. That we continue to kind of come back to you of this kind of flipping of things. And we see kind of a picture of, of what faith and discipleship looks like. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, you know, first you must... Um, deny yourself and take up your cross daily, right? Uh, it's almost like these things work together. Um, that faith uh, looks like uh, a person. And again, the, these um, these are uh, not a subtle distinctions here between these people. It's not like, no, these people kind of look similar. No, like one is a, a Pharisee, which let's take our modern conception of the Pharisee out of it. Like if I were to say someone's being pharisaical, what, what does that word mean, Kirk? Uh, we usually mean it to be um, overly moralistic. I think yeah. sometimes people mean hypocritical, right? Like they um, they uh, are, are, are judgy and scolding about other sins. Um, I think it can mean both those things. You're, you're nodding. So sure. is that largely what you're thinking oh. of? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and hypocrisy. So yes, moralism, but also hypocrisy and and um, do you remember the woes? And is it Matthew 23? You know, woe to you, um, hypocrites, whitewashed tombs. Yeah, I think people often think of, um, as Jesus puts it sometimes, um, uh, pointing out the speck in others' eyes when they have a yeah. log in their own, right? And so that's, that's our conception of what a Pharisee is, kind of putting together all these parts of, of scripture where we see sometimes um, shocking examples of those who should be holy being hypocrites. Um, but that's not the better, the big picture of what a Pharisee means in this context, right? Like this Pharisee happens to be a hypocrite, but when Jesus refers to Pharisees, um, most people around there would have assumed these are holy men, um, like dedicated to the law. Of course, Jesus says, uh, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, Pharisees yeah. um, he's referring to them as righteous, yeah. um, that our righteousness needs to even exceed theirs, which is like, well, that's impossible because they're super holy. Um, and, and so like these are meant to be evocative, these images of, of a Pharisee 
um, being proud. Um, and uh, I think the the hearer there would would roll would recognize the self-righteousness of, ooh, this, it's a Pharisee, but also like they would see this prayer as self-righteous. They wouldn't say, oh, that's a typical Pharisee prayer. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Also, likewise, the tax collector would have been, you know, like a Samaritan or like a tax collector was a collaborator with Rome um, that, of course, Rome was resented, uh, you know, as as this imperial force that took over. And like the Jews just wanted them to go away. Like they, they had done t- terrible things in the past. Um, now, they the Jews had caused enough uh, of a ruckus where they received pretty special privileges from the Roman Empire. Like they were a bit troublesome. Uh, kind of hard to hard to beat down, um, and and yet that like they weren't like oh we're so glad that Rome's nice to us. They're like no, we want Rome to get out of here. Like we don't want these imperial oppressors here, and we don't want to give Caesar our money. You know, which is why they try to trap Jesus by saying, should we pay our taxes to Caesar? Because they were hoping he'd be like nah, Caesar's horrible. That would be a common assumption is that Caesar is is terrible. So uh, the tax collector um, would have been immediately before we even hear anything about him, just simply naming a tax collector, it would be assumed not only is he an imperial collaborator, but also he um, he would have made his living probably by overcharging. Um, whether it was codified or not, um, that if, if, uh, if Rome gets so much um, in order for him to actually put food on the table, he would have to overcharge. And so that was especially resented. And so before we even get to the content of their prayers, people in the crowd would have had a good sense of like who these people are. But then we have the Pharisee praying this incredibly self-righteous prayer. Kirk, go ahead and say, you look like you were going to say something. Well, I think probably the modern analog is a salesman. Um, when you go to buy a car or something and um, and you know that they have, like the, uh, the dealer has, the amount of money they need to make, right? Their profit margin. And the salesman gets anything else over and above that, right? So whatever, it's always a frustrating process because whatever price you pay, you don't know what the actual price is. Sure. Like the salesman still has to make his money, but you never have any idea whether you got had or not because there's, there's you, you paid something more than you had to. You just never know how much more. That's what taxes were like in the Roman empire. Sure. But, but a lot worse, like at least you get a car out of buying a car with the taxes in the Roman Empire. Um, Rome required building Caesar's palace, you know, X, X, X dollars per capita, X uh, denarii per capita. You didn't know how many. And um, the tax collector who got the commission for that was just lining his pockets with whatever else. So it was infuriating to watch because, of course, he lived lavishly and it was off of you. Right. His fellow fellow lived lavishly and sinfully. Yep. You know, like, why are we subsidizing his his, you know, bacchanals? Right. Um, So great uh, vocabulary choice. Oh, thank you. Um, I always hate looking at other people's bacchanals. That really upsets me. All right. Go ahead. The the canals in back of their house. (laughs) Okay. uh, (laughs) Sorry. uh, so the the content of the of the Pharisees' prayer isn't Kirk. This isn't a prayer, right? right. Um, and, and this is not Kirk. I mean, we're going to talk um, in our next segment uh, just about um, a, a proper anthropology of like understanding who we are and who God is. And um, our our a, a big part of our it, liturgy as Anglicans is 
is understanding that Christians aren't aren't these people who um are not like other men who are terrible, like unjust, adulterers, tax collectors, extortioners. Um, but 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 we are sinners. And um, you know, when we do our uh, Kirk, I love the words of of morning and evening prayer, the words that precede um the uh the the confession. They're they're just like amazing theology. I'm gonna read them. Um the scripture moveth us in sundry places to acknowledge. I'm going to read from the from 2019. Okay, Dearly beloved, fine. the scriptures teach us <laughs> to acknowledge our many sins and offenses, not concealing them from our heavenly Father, but confessing them with humble and obedient hearts, that we may obtain forgiveness by His infinite goodness and mercy. We ought at all times humbly to acknowledge our sins before Almighty God, but especially when we come together in His presence, to give thanks for the great benefits we have received at His hands, to declare His most worthy praise to hear his holy word and to ask for ourselves and on behalf of others, those things which are necessary for our life and for our salvation. Therefore draw near with me to the throne of heavenly grace. So there's several things in this prayer, but the first half is just acknowledging like who we are as people. It, it, it acknowledges right. our, our, the shape of our life. Um, one that like, it's not like, Oh, well, we'll, we'll confess our sins every once in a while. Like, we have this pattern of morning and evening of confessing our sins and offenses. Um, especially it says, you know, when we gather essentially for worship, when we come together to give thanks, um, to praise him, to hear his word and to, to, to have um, a time of petitions of, of, of time of prayers of the people. And, and uh, like, that is what the Christian life looks like. It is not like, aren't we glad that we aren't like those other people that like, that is not what the, the church does when the church, when she gathers. Um, but in fact, uh, which is why like it, this would be a shocking thing for them to look at this tax collector um, who has general, like genuinely done wrong. Everybody knows it. And yet he is the one that Jesus declares justified um, because he is the one who acknowledges his sins Um Kirk, we've talked before about how the law um, is a mirror, that it shows us our sin. Um, and that's the shape of discipleship, is, is, is to recognize our sin and to take it to God who is faithful to forgive it. And so like, this, is, this is a really crucial teaching um, uh, for Jesus and, uh, and, and is really integral into understanding like, who we are, who God is, what he has done for us. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um... If I were to kind of put into contemporary words uh, the Pharisee's prayer, um, I would say something like this. Um, I do no harm. Uh, I, I, am, I do the things uh, through the law of Moses that count me righteous in the sight of God, and I do all the good that I can. And I, th I think in we'll talk more about this later on too. Um, I think the, the Pharisee walks away assuming um, that that um, puts him in good, in right standing with God, right? Yeah. Being mistaken in what fundamentally puts us in right standing with God, right? Which is? Well, contrast that, <laughs> right? With the publican um, who's a worse sinner, right? Um, in kind of a, like a standard reckoning, right? He fleeces his own people. He doesn't tie. He doesn't abide by the law of Moses, um, which we know in other contexts that Jesus takes quite seriously, right? He says, 
I come not to overthrow the law, but to fulfill it. I know I'm paraphrasing, right? Um, but Jesus, um, with like very few notable examples, um, is pretty keen on on keeping the law. So, so he's not that. That's not what what Jesus is doing. Like, look at that moron keeping the law. What an idiot! That's not what's happening, right? Um, so you have this tax collector who who is not keeping the law. Um, but why is he why is he upheld, right? It has to do with his prayer, right? Um, standing afar off, right? So not understanding he's not to approach the Holy of Holies. So think of the architecture of the temple, right? Understanding he is not mm-hmm. in good standing with God to approach. So so that is kind of, I think Jesus, Jesus is acknowledging that and, and saying that is proper, right? D- definitely. But, but he, uh, he doesn't lift up his eyes to heaven. He smotes his breast, smote his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. So like you say, a proper acknowledgement um, of his station before God. Kirk, all this time, have you been reading from the KJV? Like all these all these episodes and I don't know it, he smote his breast? He smote his breast. Yes. Okay. Like, uh, like um, uh, his name's escaping me. The wizard in the Lord of the Rings who smote the Balrog's uh, wrath upon the mountainside or something I'm Gandalf talking, are you talking Gandalf okay. I Kirk. smote his wrath upon the mountainside yes Kirk, I've been reading I'm the sorry. KJV <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm just gonna uh, just stop you uh because I I just have a reference like everything you described about like what makes us righteous just made yeah. me think of like the contrast of like what makes a man unclean um yeah. in Jesus teaching is it, it's not what comes from without it's not yes. about you know yes. contact with unclean things or right. consuming unclean things what makes us unclean is what comes from our comes hearts out of us yeah yes and and so like uh, it's not like we we pray and say like um I'm so glad that I avoided these these sinful things like the sin comes from within us and that's what we have to be aware of mhm yes yeah so so I think I think that's important and then the other thing, Christopher, is uh, is that final note, right? Um, and we say this all the time: the way up is down, right? Um, uh, we, we talk about this when we look at the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are are them that mourn. Um, blessed are the meek. Uh, we see this at the at the very end here in this last sentence: for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Um, Jesus elsewhere, is it in Matthew? Um, tell, tells a parable of uh, where to sit at a wedding banquet, right? Um, you do not sit next to the bridegroom, right? But sit down on the far end. Um, and, and, and then you will be invited, invited up to sit at the, at the seat of honor, right? So, so, so that too, I think, speaks deeply into what our posture a, a right understanding of what we see when we look in the mirror, right? We see a sinner, one who deserves to sit at the end of the table. Um, uh, and also what the kingdom of heaven is like, right? It is it is sinners and sitters only that get the seat of honor. <laughs> so it is not by virtue of your deserving that you get the seat of honor, right? It is by virtue of the graciousness of the host of the wedding, right? So I don't know, I've gabbed, I've gabbed and gabbed. Um, do you have any other thoughts about this? really um pithy but packed parable lots of p's there that's like out of a dr seuss like the, the alphabet well i wouldn't say it's packed it's compact um but uh kirk there, there are tremendous implications of this so so each of us needs to understand this first right but then once we understand this this has implications for like how we view our neighbors how we view the world how we view the church 
Uh, and like that should not be lost on us, but like, I didn't want to jump to that. Like, like, let's just take stock of who we are. Uh, but like, once we get a sense of who we are, um, like hopefully this, this spurs you to, to mission that like, that of course, as we see, um, the, the harvest is great, but the workers are few, um, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest that, um, that there are people who need to hear this message, um, that, uh, the church is not filled with, uh, and, and to convey to other people that we don't think we're better than you, um, as yeah. we go out on mission. Uh, I mean, I've, I've returned to a book, um, that I started a couple of years ago because it's so good. And it's, it's just, um, survey data on people who don't attend church, um, and like how receptive they actually are to, um, to conversations, to invitations to church, um, that they're actually surprisingly more uh, receptive than we might think. Um, but there are some very clear turnoffs, and that is they don't want to talk to somebody who thinks they know everything and that that um, that the person who God has already started a conversation with, um, that uh, that they know nothing. Um, yeah. But to like to to love them, to find common ground, and, and like you don't have to affirm like all the all the kind of like wild things they might believe about God as they talk about how they pray to Jesus, but also Buddha and this and that. Um, <laughs> but to, to acknowledge like the, the the things and to not just act like a self righteous Pharisee, yeah. um, which is often how people see religious people. So, like so there are implications for this. Yeah, and I have another another observation along this vein. I feel like this is related to to what you've just observed. Um, <clears throat> I have a, a couple of Christians, um, very um, observant uh, Christians, who are, are are quite anxious. As am I. Like I'm, I'm not saying I'm. I don't ha share this anxiety. Quite anxious about which way the tide is going um, in terms of cultural antipathy towards Christians, um, uh, cultural pressures, HR pressures to to say to get Christians to say things that aren't true um, about our our identity, about our our, our createdness, male and female, um, and and uh, and and this is this is actually creating kind of I think unintentionally a Pharisaism. So uh, I've I've a couple of of colleagues in particular who will really um, kind of in 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 really. Levitical mosaical terms, rant rant thunderously about others, um, mm. and this is kind of the only the only mode that um, that these friends of mine have, mm. and they've sort of it's not that anything that they're saying isn't true, right? Um, so I, like we know what God thinks about certain uh, you know, like the expressions of human desire, right? We we see cities destroyed, right? So. Um, However, it's the calibration, right? Um, and that's part of, I think, what's happening in, in this passage is there's a proper calibration, like my sin is first and foremost um, what, is, what is creating um, disharmony between me and the maker of all things. Not all the sin out there, right? And, and all that sin out there is, is really real and it may have an immaterial effect on me, <laughs> But you know what will have the largest material effect on me? <laughs> My right standing before God. And so everything else um, can only get better once we properly beat our breast every day and say, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. 
Um, and, and, and our, our, our face can only gently be lifted up, I think, to gaze upon his golden eyes of mercy once we're in that posture, right? If we're in a kind of a, a, a kind of a thundering Jeremiah posture constantly, hmm. um, we're going to begin to kind of accidentally assume that like, Lord, I thank you that I am not like those people. Right? Mm. Um, and, and yeah, and, and that, that's kind of where I, yeah, those are totally related. Um, the, what you just said is related to what I said about the implications of it. Like, but because it's built on a certain foundation. Um, and so like, if you build on the foundation of understanding like who we are and, and like where our righteousness comes from, like there is no like looking out in, in, in just like um, despair at just yeah. like this horrible world out there. Um, it, it. Uh, yeah. It's bad out there, but guess what's worse. <laughs> Look in your own heart. Right. I think maybe that would kind of yeah. be, what my, my, my prayer for, for, for some of us who are in that space. Any, any other thoughts along this vein, Christopher? No, let's move on to our uh, theology segment. Today, our theology segment is going to be, and please, uh, Catholic, Roman Catholic and Catholic-minded listeners, do not, I beg you, do not turn this off, because I, I believe that we will have something for you. After that, that lengthy, verbose disclaimer, our theology segment today is Reformation Day. So we are in anticipation, uh, uh, going to mark today, October 31st, um, because next week we want to mark All Saints. Um, and, and I, I think that that's kind of neat, right? We're going to mark today a very reform, reform minded, um, part of the church. And, and next week will be a very kind of Catholic minded, uh, discussion. Reformation day is a Protestant Christian holiday celebrated on October 31st. I mean, it's not actually in any Anglican prayer book, which we can talk about that if you want to. Um, but, you know, we, we, it, we're Protestant adjacent, if not like outright Protestant. So, by the way, I, I hate that word adjacent, the way it's used now, but I've obviously, uh, I've become part of the blob that uses it that way. So um, it, it pertains to us, right? We are a, a, a reformed Catholic body. And so a lot of the doctrines and practices that were introduced in the Reformation have become kind of a part of what we do. So why October 31st, you might ask, dear listener? Because um, well, Martin Luther went trick-or-treating and while doing so did... He burned Kirk. some witches. I'm no. joking. I'm sorry. <laughs> On October 31st, so the story goes, a young Augustinian monk by the name of Martin Luther nailed... 95 points of argument called 95 theses on the all saints church door in Wittenberg in Germany. Um, this was a common way of provoking discussion in the 16th century. It was common academic practice. Um, a decade ago, people used to use the analogy of a blog post, but that's probably not even relevant anymore. It would be like putting, putting together a really interesting TikTok, 
um, oh my of <laughs> criticisms <laughs> uh, and and suggestions for um, for for debate over church practices and theology. However, um, the, the the social atmosphere and the technology was right was ripe that it was not like in previous years when someone would put up um, articles of debate. For one thing, Martin Luther had become uh, a um, had become a bit of a public figure. He had come back from Heidelberg. I mean, we've talked a long time ago, Christopher, about the Heidelberg theses that had made him a bit of a theological figure in Germany. Um, in which he kind of introduced a kind of a, a, a low, uh, an Augustinian anthropology, an understanding of our posture before God, which we were just talking about, right? And um, so he was, uh, he'd become uh, a, a bit of a theological, uh, I don't want to say lightning rod, a celebrity. And uh, pamphlets were, uh, were printed of this and the printing press was a new technology as well. And these pamphlets spread rapidly and they made uh, they spread rapidly for reasons we can talk about as well. Um, the German church um, was feeling a little embittered um, about German. Uh, what would it have been at the time? I don't, I don't know what the currency would have been. Dollars, not dollars. But um, <laughs> anyway, German money flowing into Roman coffers to pay for what was a beautiful church in Munich. No, wait, I got that wrong. Rome, <laughs> right? They were bitter about that. They wanted German money for the German church. So it spread and and uh, before long, it created um, a schism in the church. Uh, now we, we know in the Western church is split largely between um, Protestant church bodies and Catholic church bodies. Um, so that is, that is a, a really, really lengthy um, introduction to this. Um, Roman Catholic listeners, I, I, I know that you have certain discussions um, that, 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 that rise up around the Reformation, and we have our own. But Christopher, you and I had a couple of particular things that we wanted to talk about. So I'm gonna, gonna toss this over to you. Um, how, do you wanna, how do you wanna begin this conversation in marking uh, Reformation Day? Um, okay, I, th I thought you were gonna start, but- Oh, well, I can um, start, I can start. Yeah. You, I'm just looking at our, at our, at our notes from the pre-show and, uh, and you, you'd wanted to talk about medieval accretions? Sure. Okay. Yeah, well, and that, I guess then I'll start because I thought, <laughs> I thought but I guess it, it does kind of start with that because that then we get to kind of um, the, the theology and stuff like that. So, um, you know, Kirk, you and I, a pre-show, I talked about um, uh, just like the, the church has had various renewal movements within it. And so yes. that... Like that is one of the reasons why like Anglicans do not observe Reformation Day um, as um, Protestants do, um, uh, because it just marked one of, of many uh, kind of uh, renewal movements in in the church that, that um, unfortunately the church can fall into um, bad leadership, bad practice, um, bad theology, unholy leadership. Um and uh, but, we, you know, it's I, th I think a particularly Protestant mistake can be um, to kind of pretend that like there was the New Testament church and then the Reformation and then, like and then like right. really nothing between there and the Reformation when it just kind of resolved all things where um, like uh, I mean, from the beginning, 
from from the New Testament, we saw issues in the church that had to be resolved. Um, we've talked before about the Jerusalem Council, how um, there was an assumption among some that, of course, um, Gentiles would have to become Jews first, and then and then you know you can be a Christian. You got to circumcise the adult converts, right? Obviously. Yeah, you can, and you have to observe <laughs> you know the whole law, right? Um, like that's just part of what it means to be a a Christian, or a you know they weren't even called Christians at that the time. Way. They're followers of the way. Um, and uh, it sounds and, like and a bad 1980s Bible translation. What translation <laughs> do you use? Oh man, the way. I like the way. All right, go ahead. I'm sorry, but but yeah, we see. Um, uh, doctrinal disputes uh, res not only occur, but be resolved in, in the New Testament. Um, so we see that in Acts, but we also see Paul like writing letters to correct doctrine, right? Um, that that uh, yeah. it wasn't like even it wasn't like the New Testament church was perfect. Right. I mean, and not have... just in one church, but in a bunch of different churches. <laughs> Corinth, uh, Galatia, Ephesus, yada, yada. And, we, and we see in Acts like uh, certain things happen, like. Um, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, um, like if you know that story, like mm -hmm. it's not that error was like new to the church in the medieval period. Um, and uh, and it's not like we have this uh, certain age of the ecumenical councils where other Christological and Trinitarian heresies entered the church and were resolved with ecumenical councils. And then the church went off the rails. Like the church has always been dealing with doctrinal disputes where bad doctrine has entered the church. Right. And it and has had to be um, renewed by this or that, um, by by um, formulations of faith, such as the um, the Nicene Creed, what we call the Nicene Creed, which is actually the Nicaea-Constantinopolitan Creed. Right. Um, so even between those ecumenical councils um, and uh, 1519, uh, 1519? 1517. 17. Thank you. Um even between those those years, um, Kirk, unfortunately, uh, you and I would say that um, although the Catholic Church went through its own reformation to resolve some of these medieval superstitions that had entered the church, um, they did double down on some troublesome ones in um, in their uh, 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 essentially their the decisions made at the Council of Trent, but. Um, this was a renewal movement um, that ultimately, uh, especially as we look at the Anglican from the Anglican perspective, was one on uh, authority. Um, that Kirk, I would, I would not, I don't have a problem acknowledging the primacy of the Bishop of Rome. Right, and that, and that might shock some of our our more evangelical listeners as well. But right. Um, yeah, it's, well, but but the question is, what does that mean? Right. You know, um, is is he monarchical? Does he have um, uh, the authority um, to um, to uh, essentially establish doctrine that that seems to be in conflict with the clear words of Scripture? And so, like uh, the thing that I want to highlight is is um, the part of the renewal movement of the Reformation was um, to uh, to look to 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 analyze to uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for to scrutinize, uh, I guess, um, certain practices, certain, certain doctrines that had, had essentially entered as medieval superstitions and, and to, to, um, scrutinize them with scripture and to uh, eliminate the ones that were um, in conflict with the clear words of scripture. And so th that's the thing that I want to highlight of, of the reformation. It was the renewal movement, um, 
that was able to get rid of um, certain things that had crept into the church. Renewal movements were not new. That's what my blah, 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 my blabbing over the last five minutes has been about of just kind of this history of like, it's it's nothing new. We see it in the New Testament and we see it in the church. And so um, today we were just going to talk about a few of those things that um, had kind of crept in that, that the church had to deal with that, and that Martin Luther pointed out. Yeah. So um, starting with um, one of 95, uh, Kirk, um, let's analyze all 95 of these. pieces. <laughs> Uh, well, I was actually, that is really funny. So I wanted to draw kind of a, a really short. You're like, actually, let's do minute, that. <laughs> a one minute through line from the 95 theses um, through uh, kind of the observation that you just had, which is, um, uh, well, the, the, the split and the argument over over authority, right? So so the 95 theses, the first thesis, thesis was this. Uh, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent. He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Mm. And within the first few theses, Luther develops this idea of repentance as our, as our proper posture before, before God and our struggle with sin, rather than this external sim, uh, uh, cycle of sacramental confession. Um, and you see, here's the German complaint, right? Um, the complaint is over indulgences, right? That there are there are there are ways of getting your um, your 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 dead loved ones, your dead relatives, um, uh, eliminating years, um, shortening their time in purgatory, shortening their time in purgatory. So the the, the crude um, nursery rhyme was when a, what, when it, when a, when silver in the coffer clings, a soul from purgatory springs, right? Johann Tetzel was this kind of infamous, a uh, fundraiser, um, of, of, of indulgences. Um, I'm not, and, Kirk, I'm, a, I'm assuming that that rhymes in German. Yes. It's like, auf den Euten. no, I'm sorry. So, <laughs> Cause it rhymes in English. Like, have you ever right. wondered that? Like, yeah, yeah I've, wonder, us, I've wondered but... that all the time. I've just not like, <laughs> taking the 47 seconds to google it um <laughs> so so ultimately uh luther has this legitimate criticism like all this german money is going um going to this to to fund new saint peter's basilica which is lovely by the way i i will like i won't hate it when i finally see it in rome okay like it's beautiful when you finally <laughs> see it in heaven <laughs> and because um, that's what heaven is right i'm kidding and and there there is there's 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 this bitterness over it, but then there's this theological critique, which is like, wait a moment. Um, what, what sets us right with God, um, isn't going through this external sacramental cycle, but a posture of repentance. Um, and, and the Catholic, uh, the, 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 the papacy wants to build the church, right? They need these indulgences. They want these indulgences. And so they shut down debate. And Luther says, like, I'm, I'm, I'm compressing like three or four years of the timeline. Um, he and, and, and other reform-minded uh, churchmen say, like, whoa, 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 we need to talk through these things. And um, it ends up being Rome's official position, like, no, there is no argument uh, against church practice and teaching um and you are you are um bordering on blasphemy and 
uh, Luther and his ilk retort, but what if our argument is grounded in the word of God and, um, uh, and, and, um, the, the, the plain meaning of scripture is, is on our side. And, uh, the, the short version of the Rome's retort is it doesn't matter repent or, um, or be, be excommunicated. Um, and so, so in the end, the argument, um, from authority is like, you have to believe what our, what our teaching is. Um, and so, so Luther ends up kind of, he ends up realizing that the heart of the matter is actually how we are set in right standing before God. And these are what become the Reformation solas, um, grace alone, uh, Christ alone, scripture alone, faith alone. Um, and, and even of those, it's a, some of those are kind of extraneous, um, kind of what, what, what makes my heart sing is really grace alone and Christ alone. So Christianity is a, is a, what theologians call a thick faith, right? If you recite the Nicene Creed, you're confessing a lot of true things about God, um, the church, and the story of salvation and his people, right? Um, but if you could really, really, really pare it down, um, it would look like a cross, right? And all for you, all mm. for you. Um, and this is the heart of it, right? And so I think that's the beauty to me of the Reformation is remembering what the heart of the matter always was and refocusing the church's gaze on the cross and the individual believers gaze upon the cross. Um, and this is directly related, of course, Christopher, to our discussion of this previous parable, right? Um, this is a renewed Augustinian the uh, anthropology, right? Um, we, uh, we, the lower our view of humanity is, the higher our view of Christ will be. There is naturally an inverse relationship. And if that sounds complex and hoity-toity and, and theoretical, it, it always plays out that way practically, does it not, Christopher? People who insist on having a high view of human capabilities, um, they're like, I, I believe in the, in the essential goodness of man. Um, really, there's not a whole lot of space for Christ other than like as moral guide or as like brother or something, right? Um, if a man is essentially good or like capable of a bit of good or a lot of good or on that sliding scale, um, you do not need the God man, God to become incarnate, become human, live a life, live an entire human life and then be slaughtered so that you might be his blood might reconcile you once again to to god right god does not need to die if man is essentially good right um to put it really crudely right so right and and of course um you know martin luther um was was driven insane by his sin um as as one ought to be like sin drives us to repentance the law shows us our sin um, but but the, the the teaching of the time was one of of like uh, righteousness apart from uh, from from like Christ's work that that um, and especially, you know, that like it was about participation in. So the church right. had this treasury of merit. And, and that's where this idea of indulgences came from is, is that's right, is that that um, the church was able to dispense these treasuries of merit um, uh, through the their saints, own. There had been uh, so much. um yeah, merit, right? Merit, like good uh, human actions of goodness and sinlessness built up, right? There was a go ahead. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, I, I, I just, 
felt the need to, to respond right there as, as far as just like um like Martin Luther's particular experience with that of right. of just like recognizing his own sin and that and that's what kind of began this journey to, uh, to scripture right. and that like the, the the wonderful rediscovery of of justification by faith yeah yeah no i'm sorry i was i was going to mansplain treasury of merit but yeah just in case um you're not familiar with treasury of merit um it was this idea that the saints had accrued um extra good works um that could be applied to you um um through it through an indulgence right like so rome had like this storeroom of extra grace um yeah which which ends up being like really several orders removed from anything that you could ever justify in the scriptures right um but I ah oh, shoot I lost my train of thought so let me think um yeah I, it's, it wasn't as if the 15th century Christian and I, I've I've been reading deeply in this this book that I just love Eamon Duffy's The Stripping of the Altars I'm holding it up so you can see it as if like the the listener can see it um a medieval piety was was deeply aware of its own sin um. And there are there are, there are profound and pr probably we would find odd acts of penance. Of course, the flagellants we we see in the 14th century during the the Black Plague, wandering people just masses of people um, walking across Europe, like walking through 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 towns and cities, um, whipping themselves, um, uh, begging for God's mercy upon Christendom. Right. So there's a there's a profound sense of sinfulness and begging of God's repentance. But what had been lost was what reconciles us to God. Um, there was, there was the sense that, um, you needed this sacramental system. And this puts us in me in an odd position, right? Because I believe that you should confess your sin. Um, and I believe in the real spiritual power of absolution of clerical absolution. Um, um, but what had, but, but the ex, this weird extra thing had been added onto it. Um, which is this idea of of of, of penance, and um, I'm I'm not going to try to explain it because every time I explain it, my, or every time I hear it explained, my eyes glaze over, because I can never quite understand um, how it's necessary if you've been absolved, <laughs> right? Um, so uh, that that had been added to it. Let me let me t let me take a look at this and see what else we had wanted to talk about. I keep I'm keeping an eye on the clock. Christopher, we talked about purgatory, indulgences. Um, purgatory is interesting, isn't it? Because it remains it, it remains in Roman Catholic theology. Um, Pope Benedict, um, in his writings in purgatory, did a really impressive academic tap dance, both upholding it and winking at um protestants kind of acknowledging that it might be a bit ludicrous of course um pope benedict acknowledged that limbo does not exist <laughs> do you know this um pope benedict i think is probably every like thoughtful protestant's favorite pope because if you're listening to the right channel <laughs> you know that he kind of admitted that probably he agrees with three quarters of the reformation mm. it's funny uh yeah so like limbo was this oh oh this 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 place where unbaptized children went according to medieval Catholic theology, because the medieval mind wasn't quite sure what, like what to do with unbaptized children. Uh, we talked about medieval superstitions, indulgences. You talked, talked about that. Um, can we talk about bad reformation scholarship? 
maybe throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I think a lot of this stuff is held held against us today, Christopher, by thoughtful Roman Catholics. Um, so the 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 16th century Protestant divines, and and I'm more familiar with the 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 English ones, the the English theologians than the German theologians. Um, really thought they had the church fathers on their side. And certainly in terms of um, discussions of sin and grace and, and, and the cross and how we're reconciled to God, I, I, I think that is very clear. Um, there is no like, intense 14th century sacramental cycle in the early fathers. Um, however, um, on the sacraments, there was uh, so there's been probably about three century of three centuries of backpedaling I know in Anglicanism, um, and what we would call Christopher Memorialist theology um, that is that uh, Holy Communion is is a remembrance of uh, of Christ's um, work on Good Friday. Uh, all of the subsequent scholarships now shows that. Um, the early church understood itself to be at Holy Communion, partaking of Christ's body and blood for the forgiveness of sins, um, not 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 only in memory of Him, uh, and so and so. There's been some backpedaling, which has caused a split in Protestantism, right? Because our Baptist-minded friends um, are are kind of committed to that that first generation uh, understanding in the Reformation that uh, that at the Mass. Um, this is my blood, um, as, as Ulrich Zwingli said, um, when Jesus said, this is my body, he meant, this is like my body, <laughs> which is really weird for a Protestant to say when Protestants, we theoretically believe in the plain meaning of scripture, right? So if we believe in the plain meaning of scripture, when Jesus said, this is my body, the plain meaning of that would be this here thing that I am holding is my body, right? So um, also in baptism, uh, we, the, this has been a huge crack up in, uh, in Protestantism, uh, again, my Baptist friends, I'm very sorry, <laughs> um, but, uh, there is subsequent scholarship in the years after the Reformation. Um, uh, nobody in, uh, the early church waited until adulthood, until you're, um, uh, a believer to baptize. Um, that was a very new idea. Um, and so, um, there are some there's some aspects of the Reformation that uh, that um, reformers just got wrong, and I think kind of mostly it's on the sacraments, and that's I think what a lot of Catholics like have beat us over the head about as well, and um, and you're probably right about that, my fellow Catholic friends. You're yes, you're making and, like, and thoughtful faces. Well, yeah, and, and <laughs> like the the other thing that that has just kind of appeared sort of out of nowhere. Um, in addition, regarding baptism, is the idea that it's a public declaration of one's faith as opposed to um, kind of something that, that God is doing. And, and right. like um, th that's just kind of the beginning, like understanding that um, is kind of the beginning of like, oh, OK, like it's like, what is baptism? So just you must be that. born by water and the spirit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So. To summarize, I would say um, Reformation Day is worth um, marking, and uh, it's worth giving thanks to God um, uh, for the renewed emphasis on the cross, on Christ alone, and his saving work, and his grace alone, 
that um, makes us uh, right before God, uh, that, uh, that allows us to be adopted as sons and daughters of the one true king. Um, and uh, do you know his last words? I, I love this. I love his last words. Um, he died of, we now, all the symptoms, it looks like congestive heart failure. So that's a tremendously painful way to die. Um, but he, uh, he was agitated. He went to bed um, and he asked for a sheet of paper and he wrote down, we are beggars all. Interestingly, a mix of German and Latin, which is common for educated people to kind of, because kind of you grew up learning Latin and so we are beggars all. So there's really a theme to this podcast, huh? We mm-hmm. are beggars all. Thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Any final thoughts or shall we end in prayer? Let's end in prayer. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you govern all things both in heaven and on earth. Mercifully hear the supplications of your people. And in our time, grant us your peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Next week, Kirk. Next week.